Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Wealth Tech Show. I'm Ian Horn, and today we're going to talk about online lead generation. Now, this is an interesting topic. Done correctly, online lead generation uh, can, of course, turbocharge your business. Done badly, well, we'll go into that. So I'm joined by two people today. Firstly, Alan Desmier, Managing Director of Contact State. Uh, Alan, welcome to the Wealth Tech Show. Thanks very much. Great to have you here. I'm also joined by one of my fantastic colleagues, the award-winning Laura, Laura Perkis. Hello. Hi, uh, Laura. Thanks for joining me. You've been involved in some some great investigative journalism uh, for CityWire on, on on the topic of lead generation too. Um, so yeah, I had to get you involved. Thank it you very much. Would have been really not to. So yeah, you've got to manage this kind of weird world of being a co-host and a co-interviewee. But I'm sure you can kind of. I'll figure it out. It out. I'll figure I trust it out. you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we're going to start today by looking at uh, data privacy and control. Uh, so Alan. Um, Firstly, actually, what do you do at Contact State? I've introduced you as the managing director. What's the role? What do you do? So we're a we're a certification platform, which, in lead gen terms, breaks down into we are witnessing what goes on on lead gen landing pages. I think I come from I'm a I'm a poacher turned gamekeeper. So I generated financial services leads for 10, 15 years, um, and was increasingly frustrated with the level of fraud that we were competing against. People sat offshore, people double selling, doing numerous things. And so when I um, I sold my business to a, a, to, a, to a competitor in Germany, when I left that business, one of the things that I sort of reflected on in terms of what I'm gonna do next was, how do you make lead gen fairer and safer? And how do you give the power to the people that are buying leads to see exactly where leads are coming from. And so that's that's what we do. We we, we, we certify exactly where a lead has been generated. Yeah, I mean, fascinating stuff. And uh, yeah, what are the key things we should know about lead generation? Because I'm sure most of our listeners will have some experience of, of, of using these services. But what are the key things in your experience that people need to kind of look out for to make sure that they, that they actually get it right? Well, first... A positive. I think lead gen is a is a very very powerful tool. Like used properly, it can you've already said it, turbocharge your business. It's 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 something that um, it allows firms to be able to really control their advertising spend and, and and work that back to what they're they're making. I think done badly, you know, there's a huge amount of regulatory liability. Um, you can be falling foul of data laws. You can be falling foul of financial services regulations. So. It's one of those things that I think uh, that that the main driver of good lead generation is transparency. You should be able to know who you're working with, know what a consumer is seeing, and understand what that marketing journey looks like. Yeah, and and to go to your website, there's a there's a really great comment on there. We'll quote on the, on the homepage that just says lead generation firms use fraudulent short term tactics. Now that. Yeah, I see you laughing. You're not, you're not hanging about with that one, are you, Alan? Um, you know, you, you detail it as misleading advertising, reselling of consumer data, uh, impersonation of insurance brands. I mean, it's quite critical, isn't it? Could you could you elaborate on that? Well, I'm I'm desperately trying to work out where that was on the website because it should say some lead gen firms do those things. I mean, the vast majority of lead gen firms, certainly those that are directly directly authorized, do things properly. I think there's a minority which. Are the firms that you hear about, which, uh, for example, double sell people's data. So, you know, we've all had that phone call, which is, oh, I hear you're interested in life insurance, or I hear you're interested in a, you know, transferring a pension. Like, well, how did you get my details? And so I think, and I think probably some of the things that we're going to talk about today is 
what are the worst excesses of this market and then how do we how do we control that in a way which both the consumer and the buyer is protected yeah absolutely and laura i'd like to bring you in at this point because you know you wrote a piece last year on on fake directories uh you know online sites that only end up recommending one financial advisor out of as we know there's there is more than one in the market um which might surprise some people but there are loads. There's thousands. So, so Laura, could you could you tell us more about that article? Yeah. So I actually wrote a number of pieces. In fact, some might say too many pieces. I wrote <laughs> so many pieces about this, um, and I actually came about this um, looking into what you might call, you know, the legitimate household name directories. You know, the unbiased, the vouchfuls. Mm-hmm. Um, just looking them up on, on Google for other reasons and coming across all of these um, other websites coming up in the paid search results and. You know, I was wondering, what, what are these sites? And I hadn't come across this before at the time. And on some of them, I just clicked on them and you get a landing page that looks very much like other directories. Um, but some of these are, you know, I should, I should um, preface it by saying you've got directories. You've got what I like to call fake directories. And you've got uh, lead generators, which, in my opinion, uh, are three different categories. Um, and so some of these were, I guess, lead generators, where the landing page says put in your details um, and you'll be matched with um, a professional. Um, and so I put my details into a couple of these sites um, that said, we'll match you with one of thousands of IFAs, uh, and very quickly got contacted by a restricted advice firm. And so instantly, uh, it comes back to what Alan was saying, you've got this transparency issue of, on, and this misleading issue of, um, yeah, while a lot of lead generation is very positive, um, there's also this side of the consumer has to know that what they're being matched with is exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah, um, absolutely. For out of a, a pool of potentially thousands of independent financial advisors, you just happen to end up with a restricted one. Yes, and actually I put several details in in the end. I thought that's funny. Mm-hmm. And then put an, another email address, another email address, and it all comes back to the same advisor. And you're like, hmm, that's not, you know, if there are thousands of independent firms, why with postcodes from around the country, I'm never being matched with them. And so while you can't prove that they're, they're only working with one firm, um, I should say, uh, it's a bit. It raises questions as to why you always seem to end up with the same firms. Um, yeah, and, and from you know, you like me, you have some experience of looking at the advisor directories and lead gen providers. Are there any obvious tells that you're on a kind of fake lead generator? Yeah, well, um, a lot of them just look exactly the same. I, I imagine that somewhere you can buy a carbon copy landing page. Alan's nodding, um, <laughs> and they all look the same, and they often have things like they'll they'll say the same thing. We, we work with thousands of IFAs, mm-hmm. um, and they have them kind of these three things. We work with thousands of, of IFAs. You know, you'll be matched for free. Um, the same kind of slogan terms, but also key things to look out for. I think are spelling mistakes. Um, not being able to find a legitimate phone number or an email to, to actually contact them on. If the only way you can contact them is by submitting your details, I think that raises some red flags. Um, yeah. like unbiased, you can contact its um, press office, you can contact its head office. For a lot of these firms, yeah, the only way to, to get a response from anyone is to, to give away a lot of your personal details. Yeah, and, and some examples from the, the article that you, you wrote, so look at me quoting your own work back at you, Laura, <laughs> so my, my apologies, but... Um, Thank yeah. you. Well, I... I I'll take that. I actually thought I was just fraudulently ripping off your work, but but I'll take the thank you. Um, you know, you, you were saying well, one of the lead generation businesses had over a thousand Trustpilot reviews, but when you click on the Trustpilot link, nothing opens. Yeah, that's interesting. That you've got other sites using the the Financial Conduct Authority's logo. Mm-hmm. The FCA doesn't does not approve of that. It's illegal actually it, to 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 be putting that. They you know clipping and pasting that image is definitely illegal. And the Trustpilot thing, I think it's against Trustpilot rules to be 
you know, faking res uh, reviews on there. I think if you use Trustpilot, you can use it as like a widget, where yeah. if you click on it, it takes you through to Trustpilot. But some of these sites just almost clip and paste to the Trustpilot logo. Yeah. Uh, and if you, you can't click on it. And absolutely, the unbiased site has that Trustpilot logo. You yeah. can click through to it. It does work. Um, which is interesting. An another website was, uh, you know, claiming to feature on the BBC and the ITV uh, and the VITV, that, just yeah. ITV. But obviously, there was no evidence of that provided. Yeah. I would say what that is one of those tells you just mentioned. Like, what's a tell? If they say we've been in the Guardian, the BBC, the Telegraph, you just think, oh. you know, it's very difficult. I've worked in PR. It's very difficult to get in the in the BBC and the Telegraph, and yeah. you have to think, <laughs> why is this random little site ended up on the BBC? Doubtful. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's kind of annoying, isn't it? Because regular folk aren't necessarily, if you're trying to find a financial advisor, you, you wouldn't think you would have to employ the same techniques as an investigative journalist to find one. But that appears to be not necessarily where we're at, because obviously, as as both of you have said, these, these things can be very good. Lead generation is good. And we're not trying to vilify that at all. But it's mad that there are people out there getting it wrong. So to, to stay in the kind of murky world of people getting it wrong, Alan, what's, what's the worst kind of form of foul play that you've seen in lead generation? I think the, the worst, I mean, the worst foul play is the the obvious ripping off of brands, and I think we've actually come a long way in this now, and 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 it's it's down largely thanks to to Laura's articles talking about at uh, this issue because it's it, this it's been a hidden world where people would buy leads, a buyer buys leads and doesn't tell them. The FCA, to a large extent, haven't been interested in this, um, and the ASA have only recently sort of woken up to it. So I think. It's only because we're talking about it and saying, well, this isn't right, and actually, where is this consumer going, that we're now really getting to it. In terms of, to answer your question, the worst example I've seen is, uh, for example, websites that are, you know, let's call it financialadvice.tilney forward slash quote, and then building, like, like yeah. bidding on a, a, a brand's uh, keyword. Mm -hmm. I think where the consumer is then tricked into thinking they're actually applying directly to a network or directly to a, a specific financial advisor, but they end up with a lead generator. Um, now, you know, the process and, and those those tells that Laura's highlighted are spot on. I would add a couple. I'd say, have a look at things like the privacy policy. Is this a copy and paste job, right? Is it is it a real ICO number? Your point about invest investigative journalism is, is right in terms of we should be able to trust what's on the internet, which is why I've said a number of times and, and have called for it wherever I can that if you're going to if you're going to generate adverts for financial advice or equity release or mortgage some of the biggest purchases we'll all make in our lives you should be directly authorized you should come under the same rules that a lead buyer or a financial you know advisor has to come under so um that's one way in which you raise the standard is you make everyone play by the same rules a another bad example and probably the worst example is where is where Excel spreadsheets of data go missing from oh. brokerages. And then you start getting a phone call saying, oh, I know that you've got this insurance policy, or I know you've got this pension. Let's see if we can beat it. And there are some high-profile cases of people who have had their their you know policies rebroked mm. and ended up with much worse, in, in much worse situation, because you know they were they were misled, missold or misled. So that's where I think the real danger is, is where vulnerable people, and, and by vulnerable, I don't mean just people who are you know elderly or anything like that. I mean people who don't perhaps have the time to think mm -hmm. about this decision they're being asked to make uh, are then called and said oh I can save you money on your xyz and end up in a sticky situation I think that's yeah. you know that's where I think what's really interesting about that is obviously our data is everywhere now 
you know, any, anyone that's got a smartphone or does anything online, like so many companies could theoretically have access to our, our data. So if someone calls out of the blue and they've you know, got hold of a, a spreadsheet by somewhat nefarious means, you're not necessarily going to know, are you? Is, is kind of the concern. So I get, uh, to build on that, it's and I, I guess it's hard to tell, but where do you think people are getting our data from, Alan? Like where where do people need to be more careful with the disclosure of their data, and, and when can we tell that someone's got hold of it in the wrong way if we can at all? I think there are still there are still not tight enough practices practices of the way that that personal data and, and financial data is shared by advisors in general. I still mm -hmm. think that too many people don't use. Uh, good enough CRMs that's able to secure customer data, which means if you're employing someone and they decide th to leave, they're w walking off with customer data. And I think that's, you know, that, that there should be a better requirement to secure personal data. I think the thing that I would say from a consumer point of view is, is, is if you're giving any element of customer data to any element of site, whether it's a prize draw site or whether it's a magazine or whatever it might be, uh, I think we all need to adopt this dual dual notion of having one email address that we use for our personal stuff mm -hmm. and one email that we use for our you know our financial dealings, whatever it might be. Because I think that's the way that you need to view the way that you're marketed to by anyone who wants your email. They want to do something with it. Um, some of it's genuine, some of it's you know not genuine. Yeah. This is completely kind of off topic, but the other day I got um, approached by a sort of headhunter to an email I haven't used really ever. I made it and I've just never really used it. And I thought, where on earth did you find this? But then they also found my mobile number and contacted me and said, we've emailed you on this email. And wow. you think, where have I ever put in that email and that phone number? And how have you suddenly got hold of it years later? Well, there's something you can do that's quite it's something that I do, which is you can put plus. So, so for example, my email is, is Alan at contacts.com if you put alan plus something so alan plus prize draw the server only reads everything uh only reads everything before the plus so if you would have put for example ian plus football mm -hmm. at gmail.com you're going to get emailed to the actual email address and it's going to come up with the identifier and it's something that i tell everyone to do because if you're worried about where you're putting your email you can actually track who's going to use that and who's then using the the add-on to that email it's 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 you know it's quite it's a something i do all the time and it means you don't have to use keep using the same email you can then say okay well put this put this you know that's a real trick yeah that is, <laughs> yeah yeah that's, that's really interesting um yeah and uh, laura you're, you're leaving in two weeks right to join this new company this new company yeah the, the headhunter oh yeah. I, I, <laughs> they they contacted me about some kind of content content role, but they made it sound like it was a journalism inquiry. Right. So they were like, oh, Laura, oh, you wow. know, we're responding to your inquiry. There's layers to and it. I, so I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I assume it's someone that I'd forgotten about. I was like, sure, sure. So I called them back. And they're like, oh, have you got our email about this job? Wow. Just, how, how, it, just, it was bizarre. Yeah. Bizarre. And if you're listening, hands off, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have said, uh, to be, yeah, to be very clear, I got headhunted by a random company. I'm not leaving. Don't <laughs> fire me. So I can help myself. Um, right. So so again, looking at data, I mean, I, I ask this question from I, I can sometimes become a bit of a privacy nut, which is, you know, I think some people have that. As, it's not. I can't be the only one. Like when we're trying to like do things, but obviously we have to disclose a certain amount of data anyway. What's the best way we can kind of as close to as possible go off grid? 
That's a, I mean, that's a great question. I, I, I think the the way you the way you really protect yourself is as we've described is you have two almost two entities um and you have a, a an email that you keep personal and a phone you keep personal and you have uh, one you're you're happier with i think the other way is to, to i mean to come back to what laura was saying earlier about the where you leave your data i think the probably the biggest offender of this is when you when you download for example a new app and it asks you whether you're going to share your details you've got mm -hmm. no idea where that email address is going and so i think it's about adopting this persona of you know guilty until proven innocent and so yeah. using one email which is quite specifically an email you use for marketing i don't think it is possible to go off grid and i don't think you i don't think in this modern day and age you should have to actually i think it should be beholden on companies that are buying data to prove where they're getting the data from and if they can't prove that well i think that's where we have to see for example the data regulator step, stepping in and actually handing out fines you shouldn't i shouldn't be able to call you at all without your consent that, i mean that should be the that should should be the rules that we are enforcing in some um, cases it is the rules if you're calling about a pension yeah. for some reason that's the rule but not for other not for insurance necessarily um which seems i mean as you said that should just be a blanket rule um, and, it, and it is the rule in america so this is the the, the, the tcpa the telephone consumer preference act i'm oh, well remembered yeah i'm really interested. i'm really in <laughs> interesting at parties as you can tell that yeah. out. compliance that was fantastic <laughs> but the tcpa is this thing in america where if i call you and you can prove that 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 you don't have my consent, I can sue you. Uh, America, a very litigious society. I'm yeah. not sure su suing is the answer to everything, but there, it, it sharpens everyone's minds over, well, if you're gonna pick up the phone to me, you better have my consent to do so. And I, I think that's a better way of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, going back to your point around apps, I mean, if ever you download an app and you open up the, the list of things, that the data that it wants, it's, it's mildly terrifying, isn't it? It is. You know, I, I find things that have no need for your location will want your location or, access to your contacts or something like that is absolutely staggering and we come back to the point that laura made earlier about about when you submit your details um and we're moving towards slowly but i think it's a good thing when i press submit on a, a lead gen form that's going to introduce me to a financial advisor i want to know or i should want to know who that financial advisor is before i press submit mm -hmm. and i think that's the biggest change that we're going to see in this sector I think we're going to see it quite shortly is that will be enforced. I mean, that would be perfect. But at the moment, that's kind of against how they, they work because they take the data and sell it to whoever, which which advisor will buy it first almost. Yeah. So the point is when they say we'll match you to the perfect advisor, they have no idea who that is going to be. And they yeah. have no idea whether it will be perfect. It's it, just whoever buys it. And you bring me on to the, the next question, really, Laura, which is, you know, what what's your take on the current situation for lead generation and advice? I mean, just before you start with that answer, I mean, looking at user ratings, vouched for claim on their website, they've got a 4.8 out of 5 uh, rating for people you know, judging their service, uh, and that's over 230,000 reviews. 91% uh, of people apparently recommend the service, I assume, after using it. Uh, unbiased of a 4.1 rating on Trustpilot from over 8,000 reviews. Again, you can click on that and, and look at it. I mean, what's your take on the lead generation market? I would absolutely say the, the biggest problem that we're facing is exactly what Alan said about transparency and just... Uh, the fact that a lot of them are still misleading and I think that again this this splits the problem into two you've got the people who are deliberately being not, uh, opaque deliberately misleading and then you've got all the advisors who are using these lead sites and th the problem is they don't know what those lead sites are doing and how they're representing them um, so some stories for example 
um, like you said about fake directories um, where you've got one advice firm whose website takes you to a landing page that poses as a directory and they say we'll match you with one of thousands of people and they know full well that you will only ever go to them that's deliberately misleading and then you might have a load of other advice firms who are using what looks like quite a legitimate site but that site is emailing people saying you'll be connected to an independent firm and they're restricted and they they can't control how they're being represented there so i think f for firms who are looking to legitimately use lead generation it's that lack of control of how they're being represented that, it, that is the biggest issue they're facing and for consumers i would say it's it's just the lack of transparency and they don't know who they're being going to be matched with yeah because consumers you, you you're putting your trust in these companies aren't you to make sense of this crazy new world of financial advice that you've not really stumbled upon before i mean i mean alan from your perspective how do you think we can you know again i don't want to particularly like criticize any particular provider or anything like that but how do you think we can create a better lead generation system and, and bearing in mind of course business models because these things have to make money of course yeah they, they absolutely do and and i think uh, many do and many legitimate directly authorized businesses do well and i think they're they're as eager to to have this sector regulated as anyone else i think the thing that if I had a Christmas list, I realise it's early, but the thing that <laughs> the thing that I want, for example, the FCA to do is to in their in the reports that they are make directly authorised firms and authorised firms uh, submit to them, I want them to say where's the evidence that you've done your own due diligence and this lead generation firm is legitimate. Where is the evidence that this consumer has consented to your terms and conditions? And this is not hard stuff. Like we could we could achieve this. Um, but I think we've got to put the liability on to the buyers of leads predominantly and then in turn have the buyers of leads then put that liability downwards to a lead generator and say, right, I'm not going to buy leads from you unless you can prove to me where these leads are coming from and what these sites look like. And if you can't, I'm sorry, the regulatory danger of me buying those leads is so, so much. Right now, there isn't that danger. There really there is not enough threat of being fined or, you know, losing your license. And so what that then gives rise to is is short term tactics like the ones we're discussing, which is, well, if I can sell to 10 consumers, I'm going to make more money than than than, you know, than the, the risk is. So we really need a clarification on exactly what the what the regulator expects to see. I would say there, yeah, the regulator hasn't hasn't really caught up yet, but uh, all the bad press that we're seeing around it, I think, is making companies realize they have to take action. Um, so, for example, I, I will name SJP. Um, some of their ARs have, have had problems using lead generators that have been misrepresenting them as independent and um, so on. And in one case, we did see an advisor was, you know, they left the network as a result of SJP finding out they've been using these sites. And I think that maybe SJP felt some pressure to do that um, because mm -hmm. on, on, a, on a platform like ours, it doesn't look good for them. Yeah. to be associated with yeah. these sites and mis misleading consumers. So I think that kind of pressure is starting to come on firms not to use some of these sites. And we might see that go upwards to the regulator, hopefully, <laughs> at some point. Yeah, it makes you wonder as well, like, what's the best way to judge the quality of a company? Because client reviews seem to be, yeah, as we're vouched for, obviously use rating the, the IFAs out of five. Um, but I is there a better way? I mean, Alan, and in your experience, how's the best way to actually provide a client review service or some kind of assessment of quality of the companies that you're being referred to you mean as the consumer yeah as, as a consumer so how you know because obviously people see ratings out of five yeah. and generally trust them yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering if there's a better way or, or a different way i think that the way is to approach this 
far more as a sales service than it is a an end distribution or an end product um, solution, right? So I think if I'm putting my details into a lead gen form, I, I should be clear that the person they're going to introduce me to, there's a commercial arrangement that's gone on there, and I should I should evaluate that as best mm -hmm. as I possibly can. And perhaps I should evaluate it more than once. Maybe I should do two or three inquiries. And I think only then can you really get the sense. Whereas I think because of the, some of the slightly misleading advertising that's allowed, consumers are led into thinking, well, I should just speak to one person. It's all going to be over. Um, and that's the job of the advertising regulator to actually be firmer. It's the job of, I mean, Google to, to not allow adverts that, that are so obviously misleading. Um, and then, you know, uh, Google require an FCA number to advertise these sort of products now. So I haven't seen one... I haven't seen one censure. I haven't seen one fine. I haven't seen one, um, you know, uh, reprimand of, of an advertiser. So unless unless Google and Facebook are going to uphold these things, then I'm afraid it's not going to work. We need the power that the, the be to actually say, no, this is an example of a misleading advert. You're banned, or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like I've, as I have a tendency to do, have gone into the, the kind of the bad things the, you know, what can go wrong with lead generation. But, but Alan, just, just, just to finish up for us, what does good lead generation look like? Good lead generation provides, provides a steady set of introductions to a financial advisor of people that are looking for that product. That, those people have gone, on, they've gone online. They've said, actually, I need to review this today. Let's go and see, let's go and see what, the, what the market looks like. They've then entered their details. They've been transferred in real time. Uh, and that's important because it's not a sort of batch delivery. They've been transferred in real time to someone who can, who's willing to help them. And they feel safe that their data has been protected. Right. And so that's like I view data in much the same way about as I do. You go into a pub and you order a round of drinks and you get a receipt back. Well, I think we should be providing that receipt to the consumer that says, here's what you've applied for and here's who we've sold your details to. And if we got to that point, then as a consumer, I could feel quite safe in knowing that, okay, well, I know I'm not going to get five phone calls because I've got this piece of paper that says I've been transferred to this this company. So I think Legion is a great tool, especially if you're just try if you're great at advice uh, and selling your product. And you don't know much about online advertising. Legion gives you access to everything that's out there in terms of online ads. I would add, I mean, in, in doing these stories that we've talked about, I got there by Googling, you know, unbiased. Um, and then in doing a bit more research, got there by Googling, find an advisor, and you get all of these websites. And I think it's brilliant that you can be so quickly matched with someone that should, in theory, be able to help you. It, it is just navigating that misleading side of it. Um, if we can if we can tidy that up, it's great for the consumer to be, to be able to be matched with someone um, online. They don't even have to leave their house. They have to go out um, to get that service. Yeah, it, it's just it's fascinating because... Obviously, people still get matched up with unregulated financial advisors, not necessarily via lead generation sites, but it happens because people can masquerade as one. But as we've kind of touched upon today, lead generation sites, people aren't always aware of what's legit and what's not. And yet, actually, there are some great resources out there and some great ways to, to match up with people that will make a big difference to your life. Uh, look, Laura, thank you for helping me with this podcast. Thank and, and you sharing for asking your experiences me. Of, of, of like you know, delving into this this world of, of fake lead gen, a murky world. It is murky, <laughs> isn't it? And, uh, and Alan, thank you for joining us uh, and telling us about what you do at Contact State, and also, you know, helping helping us to kind of pick apart this issue. Um, to everyone who's been listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this has been the Wealth Tech Show. I've been Ian Horn, and hope to see you again soon. <laughs>